0: The human race is obsessed with the topic of love. Not just now, but in all generations. We haven't changed, you know. Knowledge has increased, but people are still people. And that obsession, that fixation, can be seen in no, you know, all number of ways. I mean, if you look at the books that are written, if you look at the films that are produced, if you look at any music that is produced, creativity that comes out of people speaks of what is in the people. They want to somehow get their love out, either by singing about it, writing about it, by you know, telling the world about it. That's just a fact. The reason for that, friends, is because love is powerful. I don't know if you have encountered either the power of God's love or the power of someone else's love or the power of your own love, love within you. But when you do, love is a powerful thing. And the Bible backs this up. God says this, that love is as strong as death. I don't think you can put it much more strongly than that. Scripture says that love is as strong as death. Another thing the Bible says is that this God who we follow, this God who died for us, it says that God is love. And it doesn't say in the Bible that God is too many things. God has things like judgment and what have you. But it doesn't say that he is too many things. But scripture is very clear. That God is love. What that means is that love is God's default. Love is God's preset position towards you. His natural disposition to you is to love you. He is inclined to love you, right? And so we need to look at ourselves, friends, you see, because we're made in God's image. We need to think about that. God is love and you are made in his image. We had a pastor in Dublin, very nice guy, a Romanian chap, and he was... I can only describe it as Stefan is music, you know. Stefan could pick up any instrument and play. Music was in him, right, and it used to come out of him. Stefan had a son, and I watched his son grow up. His son was called Sebastian. Surprise, surprise, guess what was in Sebastian? Music. Music. And from a young child, Sebastian was able to pick up stuff, come into the church and play the keyboard, just coming out of him. Like father. Like son. And you can see that in the human race. You can see it all around us, friends. You are made in God's image. And God is love. That means this for you, friend. That you have An overwhelming desire to be loved. But you also have an overwhelming desire to love. This is a two-way deal. Now that desire can either ruin your life. That desire will do more damage and more harm to you than probably any other thing. Any other emotion. If you don't learn how to handle it. If you don't learn how to put a muzzle on it how to control it, how to sanctify that drive, that desire within you. Oh, it's an important topic, all right. So what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to look at love. You see, the love that's in you, do you know what it wants? A focus. It's looking for a focus. You're looking for someone. You're looking for something to love. An object for your affection. And that differs from person to person. Some people love their careers, you know. But if you don't find a focus for this love that is in you because you're made by a God who is love, if you don't find a focus for that, people twist and pervert that focus in every way imaginable. You see, a a man has love, so he falls in love with a woman. A woman has love, she falls in love with a man. They have children. They pour their love on their children. And if you've still got some love left, you get a cat. (laughs) Or a dog. Or if you haven't got kids, maybe people get a cat or a dog. We've got a cat. <laughs> if you haven't got some, something to focus your love on, do you know what you'll do? You'll find something. And you see people walking around with so much love within them, they want to give it to someone. It's inside them. They've got to get it out. Amen. It's the way we're made, folks. we have got to learn to do that. I, I go home sometimes, I lavish my love on my cat. Now, Jeanette's not the same. She treats like an animal. <laughs> it's in us, and we want to get it out. The trouble is the getting of it out messes up so many lives. We're going to begin at the beginning. Over the next few weeks, we'll look at people coming into your life. We'll look at falling in love, what that means. We'll look at staying in love. But for the moment, we need to look at ourselves As individuals, look at ourselves and see what it is about me. What's different about me? What do I need to know about this powerful force within me? Let's begin by thinking about Adam. When Adam, God made Adam and Adam was made in God's image. And here he is in the Garden of Eden and Adam has got this love within him. Now, I want you to know, uh, if you remember one of the first things God said, he said, it is not good for Adam to be... Alone. So was Adam lonely then? So here's Adam in the Garden of Eden. God's just made him. New man standing there. So what did God actually say? There's two words for alone in the Bible, in Hebrew. Two words. The first one is the word badad. And that means to be alone, but it wasn't bad. Badad means to be just simply alone. Sometimes okay to be alone, isn't it? Sometimes I can't wait to be alone. If I've had a busy Sunday, maybe we do three services or something, and you get such pressure all day from people, I can't wait to get alone. Do you know the feeling? Mm-hmm. Maybe your kids have kept you up all day or something, and you can't wait till they're in bed so you can go, oh. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Sometimes it's okay to be alone. That's the sort of aloneness that the word badad represents. But there's another word in Hebrew, and it's the word yabib. And that's not good. That's lonely. Now, it's, it's kind of a very important point. Because when God looked at Adam and God had made Adam, he said, Adam, you are bad. You are alone. But it wasn't bad. God didn't say Adam was lonely because he wasn't. Adam had a complete emotional relationship with God. Adam was fulfilled as a single person. I hope you're listening. As a single person, Adam was totally fulfilled in his relationship with God. But God still said it wasn't good for him to be alone. There were some practical issues coming up. For instance, he wanted this Adam to populate the whole earth. So he had to create an, an Eve. Okay, An Eve comes on the scene, but it wasn't primarily to meet any emotional need as such, although that's there. It was because of the commands that were to follow. Now go and have dominion and have rule and I'll give you a helpmate. It's very important to to understand that. You see, it's okay to be alone. And in one sense, you're always alone anyway. We'll come to that in a minute. In one sense, we all stand alone. You're going to stand alone before God. So we need to get used to that first one. It was the original creation. It was the way God had made him, the way God had made the way God's made you. Some point in our lives, we need to kind of get used to standing on our own two feet. So Adam wasn't lonely. He just happened to be alone. And God had a task for Adam. And because of that, he gave him Eve. The scriptures give us a classic character in Abraham to help us understand the whole process between these two dispositions, these two ways of being. I want you to turn to Genesis. We're going to look at the character of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. We're going to look at the effect that Abraham that love had on Abraham's life, with the decisions that Abraham made, he would have said to you, what's love got to do with it? But he would have been wrong because love would have had everything to do with Abraham's decisions and maybe yours too. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord had, so this is a previous thing that the Lord had said. It had happened before verse, uh, chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country your people and your father's household. And go to the land I will show you. Now I'm going to skip back just a few verses to chapter 11 and verse 31. The Lord had already spoken to him. Verse 31 of chapter 11. Terah, that's Abraham's father. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his wife son of Abraham. And together they set out for Ur of the Chaldeans to go, and, uh, to, go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and then he died in Haran. Let me explain what's happening right there in that circumstance. Abraham is part of a tribal system, a tribal society. He's a patriarch. His father was the patriarch. He follows in his father's footsteps. So they live in large extended families, large communities. This is the way it is. I don't want it any other way. It's my culture. Leave me alone. I'm happy in it. And God speaks a very unusual word really for the time. Probably quite unique. And God speaks to this tribal dweller, this patriarch and says, Abraham, I want you to do something a little unusual. Come out. Come out from amongst your own people and go to a land that I will show you. But Abraham doesn't do it. Abraham looks around him at his family. He looks at his dad. Could I leave my dad? Looks at his kids. Could I leave some of them here? Sarah probably would have gone with him. But his ultimate decision was disobedience. His ultimate decision was, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Now, it says in verse 31 that Terah, his father, took him. And what that means is Abraham must have told him, I had a word from God. I'm supposed to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay right here, dad. The father's older and the father's wiser and he thinks about it and he goes back and he says, Abraham, come on, I'll go with you. It was disobedience. So they all go. And they go off and they go to Haran, a place called Haran. And there they stay until his dad dies. There they remain. Because in Abraham's heart, listen to me, in Abraham's heart, this is what I believe he would have thought. He would have thought this. What does God want from me that's causing me this pain? What on earth do you want, God, that you would say to me that I've got to be alone? What is it? You're a powerful God. You're an almighty God. I don't have to go through this. I'm bringing my family with me. I'm going to disobey you because I can't understand it. So we're all going. That disobedience, that demanding an explanation, cost Abraham five years of his life. Five years standstill. Five years nothing happened. Treading water until his dad dies. Then Abraham's the patriarch. Now he's in charge of the whole society. More responsibility. He loves the people. And what does God say? God, very patient God. God comes back to him again and says, now, Abraham, leave your family. Same thing again. Leave your family and go off because I've got something that I need you to do. He doesn't do it. Well, he does it, but he takes Lot with him. You see, he, as I say, inside him, I believe he was trying to figure it out. And if I can't figure it out, I'm not going to do it. I don't know why I have to suffer like this. Now, don't get an idea in your mind that Abraham's a weakling. He's not a weakling. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful man. On. This is a sacrificial character. This is someone who was at one with God, in tune with God. Yes. This is someone who would lay down his life for God. He would die. Come on, nice. But he couldn't cope with living. I would die for you, Jesus. But I can't stand that loneliness thing. I could do anything for you, Lord. Except that one thing. And you can have loads of strengths and you do. You've got gifts in you. You do. But God wasn't dealing with Abraham about his gifts. God wasn't dealing with Abraham about his strengths. He was dealing with him about his greatest weakness. His inability to stand on his own too. Sooner or later, all of us have to come this road. I'm convinced of it. Sooner or later, we have to look at loneliness. We have to face it head on. Because if you don't, I believe our love life is diminished, is damaged. You need to learn to stand on your own two feet. What is loneliness anyway? Loneliness affects different people at different times. All different parts of our society. And you may say that, well, loneliness doesn't affect me. Well, I challenge you on that. (laughs) I challenge you big time that loneliness doesn't affect you. You might call it by another name depression or whatever or moodiness. Who's susceptible to being lonely then? Well, first of all, people who don't like themselves. I don't know about you, but I don't like being in a room alone with somebody I don't like. Do you? You get the point? So if you don't like yourself and you're alone, you're in trouble. So you're going to have to fill any time alone with all sorts of junk to try and crowd yourself out. Well, you can't get away from yourself. The people who don't like themselves will always drive themselves back. In fact, you know what? If you don't like yourself, what you start to say is this. Nobody likes me. You start to project it onto others and, you know, you know no one around here likes me. And that's not the case. When you hear people say that, it's normally themselves they're having trouble and dealing with and they need to make some changes people in category one there they withdraw from fellowship disappear you go and see them ah, nobody in that church likes me (laughs) give us a break (laughs) the problem is within you need to learn to, to walk uprightly and be comfortable in your own skin friend the second type of people who maybe are vulnerable particularly vulnerable to loneliness and not being able to deal with it are the elderly There's those who are sick. Sickness is a terrible thing. You might think you've got it hard as a single person. You might think you've got it hard when you lie down at night, you close the door and you go to bed. You might think that's difficult. Fine, no problem. But you want to know something that's harder? Lying down on your own sick. That's harder. So different people have different pressures, and we need to learn how to cope with anything that may come our way through our life. The mentally ill suffer. The physically disabled suffer. Those who work away from home. Can get great pangs of missing your family. Abraham's problem, right? Those who are discriminated against in any society, and of course, students. What is loneliness, by the way? Loneliness is when I'm forced to be alone. Loneliness is when I have to be alone, I don't want to be. Sometimes it's good to be bad at. Sometimes it's good to be alone. But that's not loneliness. Loneliness is when I'm alone and I don't want to be. I want company. Loneliness is when I've got that ache in my gut that makes me feel that I'm not complete. Makes me feel I'm looking for something or someone to make me complete and that gets us into all sorts of troubles. And of course, lastly there, the category, the students. Come to that in a moment. Just over the last few weeks as I've been looking at this subject, I've been shocked at the men of history of many books at home on loneliness or about loneliness or at least chapters in books about loneliness. And as I gathered the material together, I was shocked, shocked. You don't have to look at Abraham to understand that in the making of a man, this is a route that you're going to come. This is a path that you're going to take. Not just Abraham. Abraham had to cope with it, but as I read, say, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis in Surprised by Joy, A Grief Observed, and, you know, Mere Christianity. He's always talking about the great grief within him that he had to cope with loneliness. A.W. Tozer, exactly the same thing. R.T. Kendall. Men who have done something in their lives. And you ask them, you know, how did you get there? And a bit like Abraham, they said, I tell you this, friend, one of the greatest mountains I had to climb was not a war outside. It was not defeating some nation like Abraham did. It was a war inside. It was loneliness. I like a quote here from a guy called Thomas Wolfe. Listen to this. The whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness... Far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, particular to myself and a few other solitary men, is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. That's quite a conclusion, you know, for someone who studied the subject. It means he's saying that sooner or later we all have to face this. Do you know, look at me, listen, please, important. Do you know one of the greatest illusions about modern society? One of the greatest delusions? It's that if you get married, you won't be lonely anymore. It's a complete falsity, you know. Loneliness can affect single, married. It's not confined to any quarters. It pervades the human race and pervades all circumstances. You could be the life and soul of the party and be the lonely person, the loneliest person in the room. Loneliness is not confined to any particular group or section of society, and it arises, as I say, in all different parts of life. When you're old, like my mom, my mom's 87, she's just lost her dad, her husband, right? And he, she's now having to learn to be alone, 87 and still learning, 87 and still going through the phases of coping with being alone but How do I do this and do it well? How do I do this and not be... Yeah, be How do I do this and not have it hurt, Lord? Show me. Well, he has. It's right here. You see, emotional pain is so much harder, I think, than physical pain. Emotional pain inside. Turmoil inside. A broken heart. That's tough going. You know, I worked on a secure unit, a locked ward for violent men. You would not believe what those guys can do. We'd take them out, you know, but if there's a glass window, man... No problem going straight through a window. You look at some of them, they would come in and they, they, they'd get a time of frustration. Some of those guys would just get to a hard surface. We had a big padded room as well as a small padded room. But some of them would just get a hard surface and they would run and whack their head into that wall. It would make every fiber, you would go, ow! And you'd have to get them and restrain them. What on earth did you do that for? I'll tell you why. Because of emotional pain. Because the emotional pain is so great, they give themselves something else to think about. It's as simple as that. The emotional pain, I can't stand it anymore, so bang, oh! That's what they do. It's exactly what they do. They trade pains. They swap pains. Because it's too hot to handle. It's too painful to stay like this. Anyway. Anyway. Here's Abraham, and he's not making it. He's not coping with the call of God on his life. He can't handle loneliness. He can handle many things, but he can't handle this. And God's ultimate question to Abraham is pretty similar to his question to you, and it's this. Hey, Abraham, when are you going to learn to cope with loneliness and not sin to do it? Because every time I ask you to go alone, your answer to me is a sin. When are you going to learn to be alone, stand on your own two feet, and not sin in order to alleviate that pain, that process of pain? Because what did Abraham do? Look, first time he called him, he sinned by taking his father and the whole tribe. Second time he called him, he sinned by taking uh, Lot with him. So Abraham's answer to dealing with a broken heart, to dealing with the the impending loneliness was sin. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? What's your answer? How do you cope? What's your placebo? For him, it was his family. For many, a young man, it will be pornography. For some, it will be alcohol. Some it will be close the door and smoke. And it differs from person to person. In fact, a woman came here to this very church, and she was sitting talking to me, and she said, "I am so lonely." She said, "You know what I do? When I go home, I close the door, and I have a secret stash of alcohol under my bed, and I drink. Because I can't sleep. I'm so lonely. I'm so sad. I have bottles of alcohol. Nobody knows. And I drink that. And that puts me to sleep. Because I am broken hearted with loneliness. I can't take it. You know what I said to her? I said, you know what I want you to do? I said, have you got alcohol at home tonight? Yes. I said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go home. Get the bottle out. Get your glass. Set it all up just like you always do right? Pour yourself a drink. But this time, I want you to pray. And I want you to invite Jesus to join you. As you thought about it. What are you on about? Why don't you go home? You're going to do it anyway. Go home. Get the glass. Pour yourself a drink. But this time, instead of thinking in your mind that you're shutting Jesus outside the door, and this is your secret world. Why don't you open the door? Why don't you let Jesus come in? Go ahead and have your drink, okay? Just do it. Because do you know what will happen? Maybe you won't su- I was a drinker. Maybe you won't succeed on the first night. But if you continue, that glass is going to look very unattractive to you. Because Jesus will demolish anything if you will only let him in. He's the only solution, ultimately, married or single. Christ needs to be our all in all. Some people turn, as I say, there's pornography, there's alcohol, there's smoking, there's anything to alleviate the pain. Or some people turn from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And that's just a series of tragedies, the likes of which you want to just stop right now and avoid I just want to ask you, what do you do? What do you do when you're faced with pain? What do you do when you're faced with being alone? And nine times out of ten, folks, sorry, but it's normally a sin. It's just a fact. It's normally a sin. And something, at some point, your life won't progress until you learn to cope with it, learn to deal with it head on. Abraham didn't do too well. God keeps on coming back to him again and said, You know what? When are we going to face this? no matter who you are here, this is an issue that affects you. Let me talk to the students. There's lots of students here. Let me say this. Do you feel lonely? That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You're not sick. You're not odd. Just feeling lonely is part of the human experience, I'm afraid. It doesn't mean you're strange. Doesn't mean, you know, no boys like you, no girls like you. Doesn't mean that. But the mind starts to run away. Listen, do you know what happens? People feel lonely and then, do you know what they say? There's something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. Because I feel lonely. People must not like me. That's what it is. No, it's not. Don't let your mind take captive Every thought that doesn't line up with scripture. Understand that loneliness is part of our human existence. Something we can learn to cope with through very practical things that God guides us on. Something we need to to study and look at. But you are not odd. You're not weird. You're not disliked because you feel lonely. That's a wrong track to take. And let me give you some very practical do's and don'ts about coping with loneliness for a start let's look at the don'ts (laughs) don't read romance novels you know mills and boone mills and boone (laughs) hands up if you've read a mills and boone's novel and all the women's hand go up. i know (laughs) don't read romance novels romance novels are to the woman what pornography is to the man simple as that it's the same escapism that stuff will fill your head with hot air telling you about this you know, riding on a white stallion over the top of the hill. <laughs> junk food, man. Junk food. And it will, it will do to your emotional life the same thing that junk food does to your physical body. And you don't want to do that. Don't read that stuff. Don't daydream. Don't get into a, 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 you know, a fantasy life. Okay? Avoid that. Because any fantasy within you Ultimately leads to deflation. Fantasies will build you up to let you down. Don't fantasize. Don't read romance novels. Don't jump into relationship after relationship. Above all, don't do that. Don't jump from one person to another to another thinking that there's some answer out there because that's not the way it's going to be. Do remember that loneliness affects everybody. You're not odd, you're not unique. This is something that pervades the whole human race. Do try to take the first step. You'd be a bit disappointed with Abraham, wouldn't you? His father had to take him. Abraham should have had the initiative within himself to take the first step and to learn to deal with his loneliness in some way. Many people say, and I've heard this again and again, people come up to me, they'd be crying. And they say, oh, you know what? Sundays are great. I love Sunday morning. I come to church, we have fellowship. You know, and it's great fun. I love it, I love it, I love it go out on sunday afternoon with all my friends you know but <laughs> sunday night comes and i go home and i close the door and i am broken hearted because i'm on my own i can't stand it people feel sick they 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 all sorts of tortures go on emotional tortures well let me say to you look If you have a key moment in the week, like Sunday night, if every week you're getting upset or you're getting vexed and feeling lonely on Sunday night, do something on Sunday night. Do something. Don't fall for the same trap every week. But go and play badminton on Sunday night. Go and do something, right? Go to the School of Evangelists on Sunday night. Plug that gap with something beneficial, something constructive, right? Don't just walk into it again and again and again. Try new things. Step out of the box. Invariably, the people who suffer the most with loneliness are those who are not proactive. Those who won't refuse to do anything and then complain about it. Hey, I'm lonely, but then, well, why do, well I don't want to. Well, you're self-defeating then. There are many things available to you. You've got to, use, you've, you've got to have the courage to break new ground. Listen to this testimony. I am 51 years old and I have never had sex. This is not me, by the way. This is somebody else's testimony. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I am 51 years old and I have never had sex. The craving has been torturous, but I am comforted by the fact that without it, I would have been less normal than I am. My sexuality, as unfulfilled and annoying as it is, has empowered me to understand and help significant numbers of people with all sorts of sexual problems. My pain has made me a better person. Without it, I would have been spiritually weaker and less compassionate. That's a good testimony. That's a mature testimony. This is a woman, by the way, 51-year-old lady, never had sex And I think she's got a very good take on it. You hear what she's saying? You read between the lines there? You hear what she's saying? Even if I'd had six husbands, it wouldn't have met my need necessarily. I'm not fooled by that. I think there's a great answer. Grow up. Read the book. And I think it shows a very thorough, painfully gotten understanding of the nature, the true nature of loneliness. So, back to our character. Abraham is faced with this test. He fails. Second time, God comes back because God's got a task to do. He wants to bless Abraham, by the way. He can't get it to him. So God comes back again and says, Now, you know, off you go again. He won't do it. He takes a lot. And eventually that caused mayhem. But years go by and you go all the way up to Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham now has a young boy called Isaac. And Isaac is the apple of his eye. Funny how life can just progress and yet you've still not faced the issues. Funny how you can be a mature man with a growing family and still not have faced the issues. So God comes back to Abraham and says, "Ah, Now, take your son. Your only son. Because Abraham, we're going to face this. You're going to have to face it or I can't get the blessing to you. That I long to get to you. So, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go and sacrifice him on that mountain. And Abraham thinks, yeah, what? The first two requests were hard, Lord. But this is getting harder. The first two, how I wish I'd just gone back then. So that I wouldn't have had to come all the way here. Now you're talking about Isaac. The apple of my eye. The child of my dream. So you know what he does? This is the good part. Abraham looks back. Abraham stops a moment. He looks back at his life. He says, you know what? I made a mess of my life, Paul. I have made one sorry mess of my life. Look at what I did. Can I not trust God? God spoke to me. I wouldn't do it, would I? And look what happened. Five years wasted. And then he spoke again. What did I do then? I took Lot. What happened? Thousands of people killed, murdered in the war because of Lot. It was my mistake. Come on, Abraham. Wake up. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do it. Isaac! I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually face this problem. I'm not going to hide anymore from the pain of it. I'm going to grit my teeth and bear it. I am going to go and do this thing that God is asking of me. Now, let's go. And the wonderful thing in Genesis 22, wonderful scripture there, where it says he gets the wood and he puts it on Isaac's back. And Isaac starts up that mountain. But the beautiful thing is, it says, but... Abraham himself carried the fire. Significant, you know. Because the fire represents two things. Pain. So God says, leave your family. He gets, ah, ah, can't carry that. Oh, that hurts God. And God comes back again and says, now leave your family. Ah, no! Can't do it. But after all the years... And all the experience, eventually, Abraham says, Okay, God, put it on me. Bring that fire. And Abraham himself carried the fire. The second thing it represents is the company of the Holy Ghost. The presence of God in him in a new way. In a different way from he had yet experienced. It was part of the goal of God. God had a reward for Abraham, a great, great reward. So, Abraham has had a problem his whole life long with loneliness. And God brings him to the place where he's willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. God brings him to a place where he's able actually to stand alone. Took a long journey, took a lot of pain took a lot of necessary and unnecessary suffering. That's where God wants you. Married or single, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. God wants you to be able to stand alone and to be happy. God wants you to be in one way, you know. You're, people say that loneliness, it makes them feel incomplete. That's what I feel. I feel like I'm not whole. Well, listen. Nobody can make you feel whole. No human being can make you feel whole. Colossians says that we are made complete in Christ. No person can. Don't ask of the human race what it's not capable of doing. Nobody can fill those gaps in your life. No one. Only God. God and God alone. And you need to take that journey. Every one of us here. All of you watching. You need to make this journey for yourself. And at the end of the journey, there's a blessing. It's actually, ironically, the blessing of Abraham. Where are you on this? If you ask me, ask me myself, by way of personal testimony, am I lonely? Absolutely. I'm lonely. Oh, Pastor Mike. <laughs> but you're married. Let me tell you something. I'm not just married. I'm happily married, I love my wife, and my wife loves me more than this entire planet and everybody on it put together. So what are you lonely for then? Because my God shall supply all my needs. Not my wife. Jeanette can't supply all my needs. Oh, my girlfriend will supply all my needs, if only I could... No, my career. No, you're not thinking straight. And you're going to get disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And God tries to iron this out so early with Abraham. Right at the beginning. Let me tell you the whole story, guys. Before you start down this road, there ain't nobody on this planet can meet your needs. Just me. When all's said and done, that's what the scripture says, Jeanette shall, no, sorry, my God shall meet all my needs. See, to some degree, to some little degree, I understand that. But you know what leads to an unhappy marriage? When you don't understand that. That's, that's the problem. When you expect that a human being is going to do for you what no human being can ever do for you, God had no problem giving Isaac to Abraham. None. It's God's good pleasure. The problem was Abraham. The problem was Abraham's perspective. God loves us. God loves us so much. Wants to get us, us blessed. Wants to reunite us in intimacy. Deep, 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 deep intimacy with him. And we're afraid. As Tom says, we're frightened of being vulnerable. You know, no matter what you have done to alleviate your loneliness, if you have sinned in any way, if you've gone from relationship to illicit relationship, no matter where you have been in your life, I want you to know something this morning. God loves you. God loves you. And he understands the plight of fallen man. He understands that. And he reaches out to you to try and help you cope with it. God's not ticked off at you. He's not mad at you. He loves you and He wants to heal your aching, to heal your heart. Remember what we did in Blessings and Curses? It's a great scripture in Galatians. He redeemed us from the curse of the law so that He could bless you. So that He could bless you. Do you see that picture? This is it. Look, there's you, there's the mess you've made, there's all your sin. There's the judgment that comes on that sin. There's you, there's your mess, and there's the blessing. Now let me tell you, what's God looking at? God's looking at the blessing, and he's looking at you. And he's looking at the blessing, and he's looking at, oh, you've sinned. Huh. What do we do? I know what I'll do. I'll take that away so that I can get that blessing to you. I know you sinned. They've all sinned. I need to get that on you. Tell you what I'll do. I'll die on a cross. And I will take away that obstacle that's in my way to getting goodness, love, joy, and peace into you. He redeemed you to bless you. Not aching heart. I promise you, no one can fill. No human being can fill. You put your trust in God alone this morning. Let's bow our heads. Invite the worship team back. Just bow your heads one moment. God, we take so seriously these truths. So seriously. God, we don't want to be a people who repeat the same mistake again and again like Abraham did. Who go around and around the mountain. We want to be a people who learn and then move on. And we ask you today, would you give us the grace to do exactly that? Give us the grace to grow up. And God, we acknowledge that there is sufficiency in none but you. That we will find our needs met in no one but you. And we acknowledge that this morning. Forgive us for taking so many wayward paths to get this far in our lives. And would you please, again, grace us, God, with the strength and the grace to proceed in a much wiser fashion. Let's stand to our feet. Praise God.